I want to invite you to the book of Deuteronomy, and we're, we're going to be in, in several different places this morning. Again, it will just be a, a general study, but Deuteronomy chapter 30 um, is where we'll start, and this is a verse that's on the bottom of your, of your outline that I've handed out, and you're able to follow along. We're going to look at five different truths that we covered this week in VBS and try to encourage you. And some of you are here, and we, we teach these lessons to children. We teach these, we taught these lessons to the children this week to help them understand their value. But um, there are some of us that are older, that are adults, that are um, have grown up, and we don't value life. We don't value our own life, and we don't value the people, other people's lives. And we want you to be able to 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 have a to understand that you have a value to God, and you are significant to Him. You are important to Him, not based upon your uh, intellectual uh, prowess, your financial success or failures, not based upon your height, um, your weight, not based upon the color of your hair or the color of your skin, um, not based upon whether or not you are a super talented person and su- super successful or you're disabled and cannot work. And we want you to know that you have a value that, that um, transcends all of those things. And the world will tell you that your value is based upon many of those things. And then, and then you get convinced of it, and then you feel like a failure, and you feel like you have no value. And then what do you do when you feel like that? What do we do when we feel like we're a failure and we have no value? And we act like it, don't we? And we begin to kind of give up and quit, and, and we don't um, pursue um, what God has created us for. And what I want to encourage you with this morning, what I would try to encourage the kids with this week is, is just simply the fact that they have value in God's eyes, that they're important, not based upon any of the things that I've mentioned. We had kids from, we had lots of different shapes and sizes this morning, this week. We had lots of different uh, energy levels and obedience levels, and we had all of that stuff. But, but uh, we wanted the kids to know that they were important, and there's a reason that they're important. And we want you guys to, to know that same thing this morning. So the five lessons, first of all, Deuteronomy 30 in verse number 19, the Lord says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I, have, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. And what the scriptures is referring to here is that the Lord has set before his people the way of blessing and the way of cursing, the way of life and the way of death. There are paths if you will, that you can go down. Some of them lead to life, and some of them lead to death. Some of them lead to blessing. Some of them lead to cursing. Matthew 7 says that the way that leads to life and blessing is a narrow way. It's a very difficult, very challenging way. It's not difficult in the sense that we think of difficult, like you have to extend more muscles to accomplish it, right? It's difficult in the sense that you have to not expend more muscles to accomplish it. The the narrow way is narrow because it's difficult because you have to let go of things. You have to let go of things. You have to actually trust what somebody else has done for you to get on that narrow path. But there is a narrow path, and it leads to blessing, and it leads to life. And our desire and the Lord's desire is that you would be on that path. But there's also a path that leads to destruction, and it leads to death. And that path, the Lord says, is a broad path. It's a selfish path. It's a self-focused path. It's a path that depends upon you to accomplish things that you can't accomplish. 
The, the broad path is for all people who try to, to accomplish God's purposes on their own, to have value in and of them based upon, like we talked about earlier, color of skin, height, weight, uh, talent level, that they try to get there on their own merits, and they will, that's the broad way, and that way always leads to destruction, and it always leads to failure. The narrow way is the way that leads to everlasting life, and it's the way that leads to blessing, but it's a difficult way because it's based upon trusting in what somebody else has accomplished for you. But here's what he says as he closes out this verse. He says, therefore, choose life. Choose life. And choose the path of life. Choose the way of life. Choose the way of blessing. Choose the way of the Lord. And he says, he goes on to say that you may, um, let's see here, that you and your offspring may live loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. Another way of saying trusting him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell on the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. The Lord says to us to choose life, to choose the way of obedience, the way of submission, the way of dependence, the way of trusting in the Lord, that he be our life, that he be our strength, that he be our guide. So as we look about and as we look at and think on these five simple truths. I'm going to give them to you and walk through some basic principles. The first one that we looked at this week was the beginning of life. We can go back to Genesis chapter number one, and we find really described for us what the beginning of life was. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter number one that God created the heavens and the earth, and that he did it, and then he goes on to describe that he created all things and he did it in six literal days. And you say, Pastor John, that's impossible. And I just simply say amen to the fact that that is impossible. And, and so are many other things in scriptures. The scripture is not meant for us to be able to, dis- to describe logically. It is a book that is describing lots of illogical things. It's describing things that you have to walk by faith to believe. You have to not be able to understand, not always be able to comprehend. You are to, as a a human being, we are to accept what God has said in his word. We believe that God created the earth in six literal 24-hour days, not because science proves it, not because philosophy proves it. We believe that God created the earth in six literal days because the Bible says it. Amen? And we believe that Jesus can raise somebody from the dead who is dead in their sins, not because it's scientifically provable, but because Jesus said it in his word. We believe that the Bible is true. And everything in the Bible that was written is true in spite of the fact that there are many obstacles to it. There are many challenges to it. Faith is not something that's easy. Faith is believing something that you cannot explain is not something that's easy. Not just believing something that you can't explain, but being willing to put your faith in it. Being willing to literally say, my life depends upon this truth being a reality. Right? I'm going to put my faith in this so strongly that if it fails, like 1 Corinthians 15 says, if Jesus did not resurrect from the dead, then we are all to be pitied. We're all in trouble. 
So we taught the kids that God created the earth in six literal days, and we know that and we believe that simply because the word of God says it. And the word of God is enough. On the sixth day, God created what we would call his crowning work. What was God's crowning work? God created man. On the sixth day, the Bible tells us that God came into a council, um, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's one God working and functioning in three distinct persons that they came together and they counseled and they came up with the concept of creating a man and that they uh, formed Adam, the Bible says, out of the dust of the ground, and then they created Eve out of the, out of the side of Adam, out of the rib of Adam. And, and let me say this to you, that all of that stuff meant something. All of that stuff, God didn't say, well, you know something, I think I'll create Adam out of dust and, and Eve out of a rib. I don't really know why, but I think I'll do it. All of those things, and the, the, there was meanings behind those things. God was structuring something very, very specific and for a very, very specific reason. So God fashions Adam, and he breathes life into him. And when he fashions him, the Bible says that he fashions him in whose image? He fashions him in his own image. God created man in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. It says that God created man in his own image. And here's where our value, here's where your value and my value and the value of these children, here's where it starts. Our value starts with the fact that we are created in God's image. Now the question is, how many people are created in God's image? Everybody is created in God's image, right? Every human being that comes uh, onto this earth and that's, that's conceived in the womb is created in God's image And therefore, every one of them has value. Every baby, every child, every adult, every middle-aged person, everybody has value because we are the crowning work of God's creation. Literally, if you study creation, you will find that each day builds on the day before it. Or, Or let me say it this way. The sixth day is the creation of man, and all of the days before it were preparation so that man could be created. If you look at the first five days, what you see is you see creating an environment. How many of you guys, you guys have children, right? Some of you have children. We saw the children up here today. When you get ready to have a baby, you're pregnant or whatever, what do you do in your house to, to prepare for that baby? Anybody, any of you ladies, what do you do? You what? You nest. What does that mean? I'm not a lady. I don't. What's that? What do you do? You prepare and you make a room for them, right? A lot of ladies make a room. They might paint it blue or pink or uh, they put a certain bed in there and they have certain toys and they, they have a place that is going to be specifically prepared for. And then, you know, they've got the outlet covers in the outlet so that when they start crawling around, they can't shock themselves or, you know, you just prepare for that baby to be able to function and have life in that room, right? Right? Okay. God does the same thing. In five days, God creates everything in the world in preparation for what? For the crowning creation. 
And on the sixth day, he creates the crowning creation. He finishes the work of creating things by creating man for which he created all other things. So think about it. The world was created for for you. And the world was created for me. And the interesting thing beyond that is, is day seven was for whom? God rests on day number seven, stating to us that all six days were created for, were created for God. So while the first five days were created for our existence, what were we created for? The first five days were created for our pleasure. The first five days were created for our comfort. The first five days were created for us. But what were, whose comfort were we created for? Whose pleasure were we created for? Whose glory were we created for? God's. That's day seven. God rested. Everything points to and is for, is for God, right? So think about how much value that brings to us that we're created in his image, but not only are we created in his image, we're created for his pleasure. We're created for his glory. We're created to be a reflection of him in our lives. And that includes that baby that's in the, in the mother's womb. God is, according to Psalm 139, what is God doing with that baby in the womb? He is knitting it together. He is, he is fashioning it. In the same way that in the garden, he, he comes down and he forms Adam out of the dust. Of the, he literally, he, he forms him out of the dust of the ground and he forms Eve out of the rib. In the same way, he is, he is knitting together our very parts and makeup in the mother's womb. That baby is a display of the glory of God. He is, or she is meant to glorify him. Even in his, even in even in the womb. So we, we understand first by creation, in the beginning, God created everything. And he created everything for his glory, and he created man as the crowning of his creation. Created man in his image to, to represent him, to reflect him, to reflect his character, and for his glory. The second thing that we talked about this last week was the wonder of life. When God created us, when God created man on day five the, or day six, the crowning of his creation, he purposefully and specifically designed us. He did not just create us, he designed us. In other words, he put thought into how he was going to make mankind. The Lord didn't just throw a bunch of parts together. He didn't put humanity into a vacuum and say, hey, let's see what, let's see what comes out. The Lord designed us. He, and we talked about this throughout the week. He gave, us, he gave us two legs. And we asked the kids, why did God give us two legs? And their answer was, so we wouldn't fall over, right? Because one leg, you just don't have any balance. And, and the kids have a lot of different answers. But, you know, our strongest muscles and our, uh, our strongest bones are in our legs for the purpose of carrying around the rest of our bodies. Imagine if God just threw it all together and put the muscles and the bones that are in our fingers and our legs and said, you know, carry this around for the rest of your life. My legs have a hard enough time carrying me around. And imagine if it was my fingers trying to carry me around everywhere. Have you ever seen some, one of those people, that, one of those guys that can walk on their hands? I bet they can't do it all the time without fail. 
Because sooner or later, those arms are going to get tired and those hands are going to get tired because they weren't created to do that, were they? Not only was these little children created, but they were fashioned. They were fearfully, Psalm 139 says, they were fearfully and wonderfully made. In, in their mother's womb, God was fashioning their very parts. And when they come out of the womb certain ways, and we should embrace and love the fact that God created them, God formed them, and has a very, very specific purpose for forming them the way that he does. And we're all different, but God creates us with a purpose and a plan. And each part of the body is designed to, to correspond and support the other parts of the body. Isn't that true? I mean, that's design, isn't it? Is it actually, I, I don't, I, I, read, I read some things, some, some things that scientists say, uh, you know, um, Christian scientists, uh, the group that made this is Answers in Genesis. They're a great group. Ken Ham is a, a great scientist, but he talks about the eye and how, how it all functions. And, and it's, it's not explainable. It's because God designed it. It works that way. For somebody to say it, it, you, you put it in a box and you shake that box up and, or and maybe you put a bomb in the box with it and it explodes and out comes the eyeball. That is craziness. That is craziness. I mean, literally, if I were to come up here this morning and I put, take all of the parts of a watch and even if they were all the exact parts and I were to put them into a box and shake it as hard as I could, you would never get a watch out of it. It's not even logical. It makes no sense at all. It is designed by God. You and I were designed by God with a specific purpose. And every part of us was, as was said already, Psalm 139, every part of us was knit together. It says in just a few verses here, a few um, terms that's used. It says, wonderful are your works. It says, my frame was not hidden from you. I was made in secret. I was intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your, all, your eyes saw my unformed parts, and in a book they were written, every one of them. The days that you had formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. That describes somebody with value. That describes a baby in, their, in her mother's womb. We have value, not only because of God creating us in his image, but because God designed us. He made us fearfully and wonderfully. And I don't care. I, I know that we have people here from all walks of life. Listen to me. You were fearfully and wonderfully made by God. It doesn't matter what decisions you've made in your life. It doesn't matter where you have failed. It doesn't matter where you have succeeded. It doesn't matter where you are at right now financially. It doesn't matter. It, none of that stuff matters. You were wonderfully created by God. And listen, when you begin to embrace that, that's when your life will begin to go down that path of life and blessing. The devil has convinced many of us that we're worthless. Isn't that true? The devil has whispered in your ear that you don't matter. Or maybe he's whispered in some of your ears that you do matter because of how great you are. Listen, none of us matter because of how great we are. We all matter because of how great our God is. Amen? And not, not a single one of us in here, listen to me, not a single one of us in here matters more than the other. It's hard to understand. It's hard to embrace that. That's the truth of God. Not one of us matters more 
than another. Why? Because we were created in the image of God. Because we were designed by God. We were constructed by him. He even uses our bodies as a description of his church in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 and Romans 12 and Ephesians 4. He uses our bodies as the, he says the church is like fingers and hands and arms. He uses our bodies to describe his church. So we see, we see number two that, we, that the Lord, the wonder of life or the design of life makes us valuable. Number three is the value of life. Every life is valuable to God. We taught the kids about Jesus and how Jesus, when he came into the earth, when he was born as a baby, um, his birth was so important that even the shepherds came to see him at his birth and they wanted to see Jesus. And the wise men came about two years later to see the the Lord. And the uh, King Herod came to try to kill the Lord. It's because the Lord, even, even as a baby, right, even as a baby, did the Lord's life matter? Even as a baby, and we, we told the kids, because you are valuable means that you are sometimes going to have enemies. That describes our value. It doesn't minimize our value. People want to kill other people because they, because they, because they have value. It's interesting, we, we, we shared this on, on the, the night too, Herod, Herod wanted to kill the Lord Jesus Christ really for one reason. Do you know what it was? Because Jesus was going to ruin Herod's plans. And can I submit to you that the majority of abortions that take place today take place because of people's plans getting ruined? We need to value life. God values life. And God doesn't God sometimes um, gives us blessings in ways that we don't understand or comprehend, and we, he wants us to, to value every single life. At his birth, he, he, was, um, he was valuable, even as a baby. And again, he describes to us how valuable we are, even as, um, how valuable we are, even as children. And we, if you have children or grandchildren, you know what that's all about. At Jesus' death, he gives his life for others. At his resurrection, he gives new life to others. In heaven, he intercedes for others. Everything about Jesus' life gives him value. He was a loving, caring God. And he spoke the truth to them. And we talked about how do we value other people? How do we show them value? And we looked at the golden rule. And we should all think about that. How do we, you know, God shows us value, right? How do we show other people value? The Bible says to the golden rule, do unto others as you'd have them to do unto you, Luke 6.31. To live in such a way as you'd want to be treated, to be treated in such a way as you, as you, or to treat others in such a way as you want to be treated, to live in such a way as you want others to live. Somebody once said that the change that you desire, you need to be that change. The value the third thing was that we talked about, or the, or the fourth thing that we talked about to the kids is the gift of life. The gift of life. We, we want to remember this. We, we looked at the first three, I believe, already, that 
we are valuable. We are, God created us in his image. He, he formed us. He structured us. Everything that God did was good, right? The end of his creation, he says at uh, the last verse of chapter number one, and, and everything that God made, it was, it was very good, right? It was very good. And he was de- describing the fact that everything that God created was very good. So, so if everything that God created was very good, what happened? Because if you look around us today, everything is not very good, is it? Would we all agree that everything is not very good today? Why are things not very good today? Is it God's fault? Did he fail? No. Everything that God created was very good, wasn't it? Why are we not in a good place today as the world goes? Because we, because we sinned. Adam and Eve in the garden decided to not obey God's command. And God only gave them one command, and that command was that they would not eat of this certain tree that was in the middle of the garden. That was the only command. And that command was so that they would, they would um, have a continued intimacy with the Lord. They would choose the Lord over this, over this um, fruit. And that really was what it was. It was like you have, you have been given an opportunity to choose the Lord over something else. And we have that opportunity every day, right? It's not fruit, but there's a lot of things that, that we have the opportunity to choose the Lord over. The flesh has a lot of opportunities in life, and we are given a chance to say, I choose the Lord over the flesh. The reason why we are, the reason why the world is in the state that it's in is because man is sinful. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, their sinfulness was passed down to us. Just like you pass down characteristics to your children, your, um, our parents, our great-great-great, and I'm not going to go through them all, but our great-grandparents, Adam and Eve, passed down their characteristics to us. Because of that, we are all sinners. And because we're sinners, we no longer have fellowship with God. The reason God created us, right? Remember back in Genesis 1? God created us so that we might reflect him, so that we might glorify him, and he created us in his image. And when Adam and Eve sinned, all of that was distorted. No longer do we glorify God, no longer do we represent him well, and no longer are we in his image. Or at least in his pure, in the pureness of his image. Some argue on that. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 59 and verse 2, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. In Romans 5 and verse 12, therefore just as one man's sin came into this world, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. The reason we're in the condition that we're in today, folks, and and we wanted the kids to see this as well, is because we have sinned. We have chosen to not, we have chosen to disobey our God. We have refused to glorify him. We've refused to reflect him. We've refused to honor him. We've refused him in so many ways. We don't get this. We, you know, people want to say it's, it's God's fault that we're in the situation that we're in today. No, it's not God's fault. It's our fault. And this, this sin disease, if you will, is, is um, on everybody. 
Romans 3.23, the Bible says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because of our sin, we have, we have condemnation, don't we? The Lord says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is, is death. There is a penalty for our sins. Adam and Eve begin to die in the garden after they sinned for the first time. They begin the process of decay and, and, and death. But everybody who sins and everybody in the world ultimately ends up dying, right? It's 100% accurate that we're all going to die. And why do we die? Because of, because of sin. Death is a consequence for sin that has been passed down to all, all people because Adam and Eve sinned, but not just because Adam and Eve sinned. It was passed down to all people because you have sinned and I have sinned. One scholar once said, if Adam and Eve hadn't done it, I would have. And that's true. And we're all sinners, and we're all accountable for our own sins. And this is what brings, it, this is what brings chaos and war and fighting in our world today. It's what, that's what causes it. But is that all God did? Did God create everything perfect, and then man sinned, and God said, forget it, I'm done with you? Is that what he did? Yes, no? No, he didn't, did he? God didn't leave us in that state, did he? Do you know what God did? You know what God did? He sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, into the world. You see, your sins demanded a price. Your sins required a... No different than if you go down and rob the bank, you are going to have a consequence for doing that. Our sins against God have a consequence. And because they are against God, the creator of the universe who created all things perfectly, and that means anything that we do that's imperfect is a sin, right? So how many things do we do that are sinful? If God created everything perfectly and sin is not doing everything perfectly, how often do we sin? We sin a lot, don't we? The reality of it is, is our hope is not in the fact that we won't be sinful because because I, can't, I don't go a day without sinning. Maybe, maybe even minutes. <laughs> I don't know. But I know this, that my hope is not the fact that I'm not sinful. My hope is in the fact that God sent his son Jesus Christ into this world to bring forgiveness to me for my sins. You see, God didn't leave us in our sins, did he? He created us perfectly. We messed things up with our sins, and all of us have done it, and all of us have equally done it. Matter of fact, think of this. The Bible says in James, if you break one of God's laws, you've broken all of them. I had a friend once, he was doing a, he was doing a, a kid's program, and he brought a mirror up there, and the mirror had the Ten Commandments on it, and he had a hammer in his hand, and he, he dared one of the kids, he challenged one of the kids, he said, I want you to come up here and just break one of these commandments. And so you know what kids do, they take the hammer and they hit the mirror, and they were not able to just break one of the commandments because the mirror shattered. And when we break one of God's laws, the interesting thing is, is they're not laws, they're law. It's God's law, singular. We break God's law. And every one of us has done it, and everyone has done it equally. But God doesn't stop there. He gives us life. And that was, that's the fourth point, the gift of life. He gives us life. He gives us salvation. 
And what is the basis of salvation? What is the basis of life? You say, Pastor John, I want life. I want eternal life. I want to be able to be restored to God. I want to have fellowship with God. I want to choose the way or the path of life and blessing. I want that. How do we get that? How do we get to that place? And here's what the Lord says, and here's what we told the kids. It's, it's by believing. It's by trusting. It's a gift. The Lord says again in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. If you have Jesus in, living inside of you, then you have everything that he has. And if you have everything that he has, then you have eternal life. The only way that you get what Jesus has is by believing in him. The scriptures are full of references to the fact that the only way to be restored into communion with God the Father is by accepting by faith what Jesus Christ has done for you. You see, nothing has to change about me. I don't change me. I don't change who I am, what I do. Jesus changes those things. He makes me a new creation. How do I become a new creation? By trusting in what he has done. And he gives us that free gift. Do you believe this morning that you're a sinner? Do you believe that you have broken God's law, not just one time, but many times? And that by breaking God's law, you are under his condemnation? Do you believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one who created all things and sustained all things, came into the world 2,000 years ago? That he was born of a virgin Mary? He um, was born of God and Mary? That he was divine and yet fully man? That he didn't commit one sin in his entire life and when he hung on a tree, guilty of many sins, he did not hang guilty of his own sins, but he hung guilty of your sins? Do you believe that he rose again the third day and defeated evil? The Bible says that's what salvation is. That you simply have to embrace it by faith. And when you embrace it by faith, the Lord says that Jesus comes to live within you and he restores, listen to me, he restores the things that were lost in Genesis. The fellowship with God, restored. The righteousness bearing the image of God, all that is perfectly restored. The Bible even tells us in, I think it's 2 Corinthians 4, that Jesus Christ is the exact image of God. In Hebrews, he tells us that same thing. If he is the exact image of God, the perfect image of God, and he lives inside of me, guess what he has restored for me? He has restored his image. Because of Christ's presence in me, I now bear the image of God again. And that gives us value, doesn't it? That's important. That's, that's, it's, it's, those of you who are bearing the image of God, that's important, isn't it? The last night we talked about the use of life. The final night was the use of life. After you've come to faith in Christ, you've received him as your savior. He now lives inside of you. He has restored you into the image of God. He's caused you to be able to represent God well. He has restored your ability to glorify God by how you live. We wanted the kids to know that now God has a purpose for you. God has a plan for your life. He wants to use you to, to carry out those things that he has called us to. 
The Bible tells us when Jesus Christ rose from the dead the third day, that some 40 days later that he ascended up into heaven. And when he ascended up into heaven, the Bible says that he sent his Holy Spirit back down, right? To dwell inside of people. And his Holy Spirit brought with him what? It's told, he tells us this in Ephesians 4 and verse 8. His Spirit brought with him gifts. His Spirit brought with him gifts. And what are those gifts? Where do we read about those gifts? We read about them in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 and Romans 12 and Ephesians 4. It's the gifts of the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came back down, he brought with him gifts. Where does he live? If you're a Christian, where does the Holy Spirit live? He lives in your heart. What is he wanting to accomplish? What is he working to accomplish through you? He's working to carry out his, his gifts. He brought with him gifts so that you could be used by him. Like a body. He describes it as a body. Fingers and toes. You know, what if your, what if your fingers and toes decided that they weren't going to do what you wanted them to do? Right? So I have this story to tell. I have, sci- what is it called? Sciatica. If you're familiar with it, my sciatic nerve is pinched. And so I was at the chiropractor and he was trying to figure out what was wrong with me because he didn't know. And so he starts poking me in a lot of different places. If you've ever been to a chiropractor, that's what they do. He starts poking me in a, in a lot of places and he comes down to my toes, right? I'm like, what's he doing to my toes? My back hurts, not my toes, right? So he, he comes to the left big toe and he says, resist Resist me. He did it on the right toe, and I resisted him, and he couldn't push it down. Strong. Can't resist my my strength of my big toe. He he came to my left big toe, and he said, resist. And I resisted. He went, boop. And I literally, like, I, and I said, he's, I was like, well, what happened there? So I, I, I tried it again. I put my big toe up, and he's like, all right, resist really hard this time. Boop. My big toe had zero strength in it. I could not resist any of the pressure that he was putting on my big toe. And he said, you have sciatica, it's in your left side. And he just knew. And it was all based upon the fact that my toe wouldn't do what it was supposed to do. And there was something wrong. And just the, 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 the message to that is simply that there's something wrong, there's something broken when your body doesn't do what it's supposed to do. And the same principle applies to the body of Christ. We all have roles, don't we? We all have part, a part in the body of Christ. Each one of us, each individual, the Bible tells us that we're all parts. Some of you are fingers, toes, uh, ears, eyes, whatever. You're, we're all a part of the body. It's, it's what the scripture teaches, right? And we all have a part in it. There are times where our big toe loses all of its strength. Something's broken. Something isn't what it needs to be. And it has to be fixed I tell my wife, because I'm, I'm healing, right? I'm getting better. I'm about, I'm about 80%, and I tell my wife, test my toe. <laughs> That's the test, right? <laughs> if I'm better or not, is my toe stronger? And it has gotten a little bit stronger, so that, that toe's almost back to normal. But, but what I'm saying is, is that to, to, to see that and to see that when the body isn't functioning or isn't what it ought to be, there's something that needs to be worked on and fixed, but to know this, that we are valuable, too, by how we use the gift that God has given us. And, and how much we give of him of ours, how much we give that gift, 
how much we give ourselves to that gift. How much we let God use that gift through us. We just wanted to close, and I want to close this morning with this part of the service. There's another part that we we need to get into, but just to encourage you that, um, and and to challenge you, if you've not accepted Christ as your Savior, you remember this. Everybody was created in God's image, created for his glory, created to represent and reflect him, created with great value, designed and fearfully and wonderfully made. Every one of us falls into that category. Every one of us also falls into the category of sinner. We've all sinned against God. We've all chosen the path of death and destruction. We have. But God has made a way through his son for you to be restored. He's made a way. And that way is through Jesus Christ. And my challenge to you this morning, if you're here and you've never embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, my challenge to you is that you would do that. You say, Pastor Ron, how do I do that? I tell you, there's, there's no, there's no, it's just by faith. It's just trusting. You know, we encourage people to, to tell God, to talk to him in prayer and to tell him of your sins and to ask him for forgiveness and deliverance and he'll do it. The Lord says in 1 John 1 and 9, if you will confess your sins, he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's pretty simple. There's no magic trick to it. It's just believing. It's just trusting. And then when you've embraced now Christ and now he makes you valuable, now you have the opportunity to live that out. I pray that the Lord will take this simple message, these simple truths that are simple enough for children, but also important enough for adults, that he will take them and change your life with them. Let's pray together. Father, We do thank you for this uh, time together. Thank you for your word. And I pray that if there's someone here that doesn't know you as their savior, they've never experienced the value that comes from being filled with your spirit, um, saved, bearing your image again, that they would embrace that this morning and that their lives would be different from this point forward. We know that you're powerful enough to do it. And we just pray that you would in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. The second part of this morning's service is that we we want to, we have the privilege this morning of installing two elders in the church, two new elders in the church. And and in the Bible, uh, going all the way back into the Old Testament, I think we see it, um, we see it in several different ways, but there's a laying on of hands that takes place and a praying over. We see it back in um, the time where Moses lays his hands on Joshua and commissions him to lead the Jewish people. And we see it throughout the Old Testament with um, the laying on of hands for the ceremonial law. And we see it into the New Testament when Jesus Christ lays his hands on people to bring healing to them. But the primary place that we see the idea of laying on of hands is in the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is a book of the Bible that is set apart for describing the church in its purest state. It's infant state. It's like all of the, all of the problems haven't infiltrated the church yet. And then they, you get to the epistles and you get to have all these writings about the problems in the church. But the book of Acts really gives us a pure picture of the church in its infant state without all the problems that were there that arose later um, due to the devil's attacks. But one of the things that happens in the book of Acts, in, in Acts 6 and Acts 13 and a few other passages in Acts, is there, there's a laying on of hands and a praying over 
um, for the purpose of installing, uh, commissioning, if you will, might be another way of stating it, or um, approving, putting your approval, your stamp of approval on individuals as being approved for leadership in the church. And Paul tells Timothy to do this. He warns Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter number 5. He talks about um, not, or actually I think it's chapter 3, he talks about not laying hands on anybody suddenly or quickly. And in other words, he says, make sure that you have evaluated men and their life and their character and the way that they the way that they disciple other people and the way that they function before you put your hand of approval on them. And so this is an important part of, of, of um, uh, installing leaders in the church is that they've been evaluated uh, by the elders of this church, but also by you as the congregation. We did a, an affirmation. You guys all, 40, I think 44 people, filled out an affirmation and not one negative affirmation came in, not one concern. And we don't say that to build up the men that are coming. We just say that the Lord is affirming them as his people, his guys to help lead this church. And then Michael and I have, been, have watched these guys and evaluated their, their life and their ministry and how they function with their families, how they lead their children, um, there's a lot of things that go into this. It's not a, in 1 Timothy 3, there's a whole list of things that are meant to bring either a man to a point of affirmation or not affirmation. And we've looked at these men through the lens of that passage of scripture in 1 Timothy 3 and also Titus to verify whether or not these guys were qualified to lead, to be a part of the leadership here at Grace Bible Church. And I would say and, and I think Michael would affirm this, that, um, that uh, we feel strongly that these guys are the guys that the Lord wants to lead the church and lead with the, the leaders that are already in place. And um, I just, their families, um, their children, they're not perfect. They're not perfect, right, Gullif? <laughs> we saw them at BBS this week, so we know that they, they have a few flu flaws there, but... No, but they, they're, we would say that they're good, they're good parents, and uh, Darren and Natalie have kids that are grown up and grandkids now, and we see the fruits of their life and um, believe strongly that these men are going to be a, um, a blessing to this church. And not just these men, they're, they're coming on to be elders, but their wives are, and their children are a huge part of it as well. You kids that are a part of, you, we got, he's got, you guys got kids behind you. You guys are a big part of this process because you are a reflection of your parents. And it means a lot when we see your children and Lord willing, see your children one day serving the Lord. I would say that that's one of the greatest, one of the greatest tools that an, a leader of God's church has is his family. Because there's so much that's proven through, through, your, through your family. And there's so much of an example and so much of a witness to others around you. The younger people in our church who are either having children now or will have children one day need to be able to look to families like these and say, that's a godly family. And so we, Michael and I, through our, our just um, watching these guys believe that that's the case. And I think they're probably both sitting there saying, well, how did you get to me, right? 
Praise the Lord that that's the humility of their heart because that's how they should think because there shouldn't be any pride in their heart. They're, they're not being, they haven't prepared for this on their own. God has prepared them for this. And this is God's work for God's glory. And, and we're just thankful to have them come and join us in leading the church. So we're going to invite them. They're going to come forward. We're going to pray over them. And then we've asked them, we're going to do communion when that's done. We've asked them to actually serve communion this morning. So you're going to come forward when we get to the place of communion, and they're going to stand behind the table, and they're going to give you your wafer and your, your juice. If you prefer not for them to do it, they, are, they will allow you to, to, to get your own. But we, we want in, in the Bible days, it was, it was not uncommon for the disciples to wash each other's feet. And we don't do that here at Grace, but we... We think it would. We think for them to be initiated or installed by serving you this way, and so that was that's our motivation behind it. And so um, we would uh, we'll invite you up in a few moments here to to partake in the communion. You want to come over here, brother? We're going to just pray over these guys, and we just invite you to bow with us and to pray with us that God will protect these guys and their families, that God will use them in a mighty way to help shepherd this church. So bow with us as we pray. Michael, you want to pray first? You want to pray first? Father God, we just... Father, we thank you for your sustaining hand in your church. And... You establish your church and you sustain your church. Father, you establish the body of Christ and I just so appreciate Pastor John's message today and emphasizing that you have brought us together, that you have given gifts to the body that it would function well. And part of that structure, you have established elders and Father, we just we thank you for that part, that gift to the body, and and acknowledge that Father God, it is you who establish elders; it is you who sustain elders. And we thank you in your grace and in your power that you take weak and flawed men, and um, you enable them to serve your church. Mm-hmm. And I thank you for for. Just the work you have done in the lives of Golov and Darren, in the lives of their family, I just thank you for how you have prepared them for mm-hmm. this moment and prepared them to serve in a, in a special and particular way for the equipping of your church, the equipping of the saints that... Um, we would, we would be a body that can serve you, glorify you among the brethren, but also in our community. Mm-hmm. And we thank you for all you intend, Father God, for this church. Help us to be submitted and committed to your purpose and your plan and not our own. Mm-hmm. Help us to trust in you through difficulty and through the really good times as well. That in all things, we give you the praise and the glory. 
So we commit these men to you and thank you for them. In Christ's name. Lord, uh, we thank you for uh, Darren and Golov. We thank you for their um, willingness to serve, their willingness to respond to your call on their lives and to commit themselves to shepherding and leading your people. We thank you for their families that I think are a good reflection of you, a reflection of your grace, a reflection of your of submission to you, a reflection, Lord, of depending on and leaning on your strength, a reflection of the salvation that Christ Jesus brings through repentance and faith. And thank you for their families. And I pray for them. I pray that you would be with them. Lord, we know that Satan is going to attack, that he's going to seek to destroy uh, leaders and their families. And we pray your protection over them. We pray that you would guide and lead them and guard them from error and uh, guard them from the temptations that the, the devil would throw at them to get them to fall we pray, dear God, for a special grace and a special protection and a provision in their lives and that of their families that only you can give. We know that your calling them here today, Lord, requires your protection and provision in their life. And so we pray for that. We pray that you'd bless the ministries that they will take on, the areas that they will shepherd and lead, that you would give them wisdom and discernment, humility and grace and patience as they move forward for your glory. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this church, for this body of believers. We pray that you would be especially gracious to us, lead us and guide us. Make us sensitive, Lord God, to your will, to your direction, and to what you have for us in the future. And we'll give you the thanks and the praise for it all. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.